This is Health Yeah, your weekly update on what's going on in the health, wellness, and medical world with Monica Robbins. Dr. Duffy, one of the things we keep seeing is that there seems to be some belief that if you are musical, you won't lose your memory as quickly. Tony Bennett being a an example of that. Is there truth to that or what happens in the brain that makes people remember music longer? Well, I, I think there is some truth to it. Um, and you couldn't pick a better example than Tony Bennett, both because of all of his um, accomplishments and, and all that he's contributed to everyone's joy, um, but also because of his enduring capacity despite the development of uh, late onset Alzheimer's disease. Um, I think that's that's very um, common in people who have spent their life focused on music and on performance, which of course is exceedingly well rehearsed and also accompanied by music which is a terrific cue for memory about what comes next in the song. And also because they stick with it. Um, I think that people who are um, uh, accomplished musicians never quite let that go from their lives. They, they love it. It's joy, joyous to them and joyous to others. And so um, they stick with it and that's wonderful. And I think that's a big part of why we hear so much about musical capacities being preserved. From that perspective, though, is there parts of the brain that are different that light up because of music compared to just general memory? Yes, there are parts of the brain that are particularly involved in music. But of course, with anything we do, there are parts of the brain that do that. And with music, if you get to the level of, of professional performance, you have expanded the allocation of brain to that performance and built new connections with other areas, with hearing, with speech, with um, attention to the cues that are happening um, around you. Uh, everything from the band to people dancing will cue in a musician about what comes next. And so it is a multiply represented and multiply cued capacity, which makes it a wonderful thing for older adults um, to practice um, if that's what they like. I mean, people who don't particularly like music might choose something else that they do like. I think that um, it's reasonable to say that liking something, that enjoyment that comes out of any activity is your brain saying, yeah, yeah, I like that. That's something I want to do. That's something I want to practice. And it's a great direction to go. And if music is your thing, do music. If art is your thing, do art. If carpentry is your thing, do carpentry. Or if books, stick with it. So stick with what you like. Um, um, as you get older, that's your opportunity. And you should take that opportunity because you will enjoy it and because it is good for your brain. A lot of people think that repetition 
may be the answer to preventing onset of Alzheimer's. Is that true? So I think that um, if you um, uh, repeat um, things that you like to do, you will stay better at that through Alzheimer's than you might if you dropped those positive habits. Um, I would hesitate to say that it uh, prevents Alzheimer's. What it does is it prevents the loss of those capacities during the more general decline that comes in that transition from late life cognitive decline to something that we would call um, the early stages of Alzheimer's disease or other dementias. What do you think are the biggest misconceptions people have about dementia and Alzheimer's? Um, uh, that's a difficult question because in this line of work, I've been doing it for a long time. You come across a lot of misconceptions. The one that I think is the most unfortunate is that people somehow think they did something wrong, somehow blame themselves. And in the vast, vast majority of cases, that's not the case. Now, if you abused alcohol or weren't taking medicines that you were prescribed, that's not helping. Um, but um, in general, it's got nothing to do with what you did. What you should do is maintain positive habits. And the five habits that I emphasize to everyone is to walk every day, um, you know, outdoors if the weather is good, but if it's slippery, you'd want to be indoors, like at a mall or someplace or a gym. But getting that exercise is both good physical exercise and it's good mental stimulation. Um, and, and then talking to other people, because the most stimulating thing for a human brain is another human brain. And, and um, it, it, reading is good because you're practicing those language skills that many of us enjoy, uh, not just people who talk too much, but also the average person enjoys interactions and reading is the basis of a lot of our interactions through newspapers, email, and the other kinds of print media that we all interact with every day. Then, of course, getting good rest um, um, is important overnight, um, making sure that if you have a sleep disorder, like a sleep disorder of breathing, that it gets diagnosed and treated um, to preserve getting oxygen to your brain while you're asleep. And, um, uh, and then your diet, which is essentially a recommendation for something like a Mediterranean diet, which is a long list of different things to include and exclude. And I'm not a, a diet fanatic, but the data is really good that it does have an impact. So paying attention to those things is very important. The three others um, that, that uh, are, come up um, in many people's minds, um, my wife suggested them to me, and she's a geriatric psychiatrist, uh, are to work, do some work around the house, whatever, in the yard. Um, uh, do some play, if you like cards or building models, do something like that. Um, and love. 
um, uh, love the people who are around you, um, and um, and and it comes back to you when you do. And those are good pieces of advice, I think, for everyone in aging, but particularly if you're worried about making that transition um, to something that um, may be more impactful, like a, one of the dementias. How concerned are you that we're starting to see study after study coming out about how COVID is impacting the brain and that there's a higher risk for people who had COVID over 65 to develop Alzheimer's and also um, brain shrinkage in women who even had mild. Yes. Yes. What are, yes. what are your concerns and, and what do we need to read into? Well, um, so what I've seen in, and I've seen a fair amount of, of people suffering from those long-term consequences, what we often call the long haul syndrome. I think there are two parts of it. Um, in the people who are severely ill, um, there is the impact on, on you from being in the ICU, you know, having the machine breathe for you and all of that entails. Um, and that's an important part of it. And then there is the viral infection itself, which number one is a viral infection that can, depending on individuals, um, have a direct impact on the brain. Uh, sort of a um, a uh, swelling effect, um, um, an inflammatory effect, and and then there's the the long term impact of that immunological stimulation that may carry with it the risk of a a long term um, reaction in the brain, and that's common in a variety of diseases, and unfortunately, we have seen it not uncommonly in uh, COVID as well. Are you concerned that this is going to cause a much higher increase in dementia and Alzheimer's cases in the next five to 10 years? Yes, I'm concerned, but we all should recognize that the rate of Alzheimer's disease in the older adult population is very high already. And what we really need to do is develop ways of early detection and effective therapy. And for right now, those, those um, uh, approaches that we discussed, I think are very appropriate if you are at an age where you are concerned about these issues. And also um, come and find one of us, one of, the, one of the neurologists who deals with this. And, and this is what we deal with. And if we end up finding something that, um, that you need help with, then we're here to help. And, um, and, and if not, we're here to reassure and keep an eye on you. But don't hold back. Um, we do want to be right there with you from the start. When is forgetfulness a concern? Because, you know, I, how many times I walk into a room and I forget what I'm doing in there, you know, or... Yes. Yes, you know, yes, any, exactly. any normal things. Right, right. And so it's important to keep in mind that there's no clear, bright line between what we should call healthy cognitive aging, because everybody who's over any certain age knows aging is not nothing. It's it's you're not who you were when you were in high school. You're very different. If you had to take the SATs again, it would be really hard. Um, but 
the truth is that it's a very gradual process that varies in individuals and varies in some modalities more than uh, others. Um, for example, working with words um, or, or in other people, finding your way around or finding something you put down. Everyone has a profile of brain strengths and weaknesses. And of course, if the weaknesses get worse, you would notice that first. So it's not something to get upset about. It's something to come and talk to the people uh, who have devoted their lives to these issues. Let's talk about hope. What are you expecting or anticipating is going to be the next best therapy in the next five to 10 years? Well, um, so we're all very enthusiastic about the um, monoclonal antibodies, that is um, teaching the immune system to identify some of the toxins that build up in Alzheimer's and helping your body remove them. All of those bad proteins that we talk about are normal constitutive proteins, proteins that are normally in your body, but they get malformed or clustered and they poison brain cells when that happens. So what we wanna do is identify the people in whom that's happening and then use medicines like the monoclonals to draw it out of the brain so that it is no longer poisoning your brain cells. And that's a great opportunity too. But by no means do I think that that's the only path forward. Frankly, what we want is to prevent Alzheimer's disease. And to do that, we have to dig deeper into what's going on to trigger the production of these abnormal proteins and make them so indigestible by the brain. And when we get to that, I think we'll have a better chance of stopping it before it st starts, being able to prevent Alzheimer's. And that's our goal. Dr. Duffy, final thoughts. What would you like to leave people with who may be watching this? Well, um, uh, number one uh, is um, uh, this is not a complete mystery and we can help you with it. And so you should seek care if this is a concern of yours. Um, and then number two, help is on the way. There are some treatments that help people now, some people more than others, and we can't predict who will be helped more. Uh, and there is a really good prospect for future treatments that will have an impact on the course of the disease, which is a step towards to preventing it. And that's what we really want to get to. Dr. Duffy, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your insight. My pleasure. Please find me on Twitter and Instagram at Monica Robbins. Like and follow my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC. Subscribe and find video podcasts on my YouTube channel, Monica Robbins. Until next time, have a healthy week. Thanks for listening to Health Yeah! with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.